1 John chapter 2, we'll start in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Father, we praise you. For your word, which is truth. We praise you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, as we continue this journey through First John, please continue to teach us. We thank you for the anointing, which is your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you help us abide in you as you abide in us. We ask your help this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. John has taught us thus far in our journey through 1 John. Christians, those who know God the Father through faith and God the Son, those who truly belong to the household of faith, they are characterized by, as it says in chapter 1, verse 7, those believers, those followers in Christ, they walk in the light. Chapter 1, verse 9 says that true believers will be confessors. They will confess their sins to the Holy God. Chapter 2 verse 4 says that Christians will keep His commandments. Christians are about obedience to God. In chapter 2 verse 6, it's referenced that Christians ought to imitate or walk in the same manner of their Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 verse 10 characterizes us as having a Christian love. We are to love our brothers. While the world hates each other and hates their brothers, Christians are distinct and distinguishable by what? By their love for the brethren. Chapter 2, verse 15, as we talked about last week, a negative, Christians do not love the world. They do not love which is what is at enmity with God. We don't love the world. 
And so this litmus test distinguishing or, or revealing to us whether we belong to the household of faith or this proof test, it doesn't stop in the middle of chapter 2. It continues. The evidence test, the visible proof whether we belong to the household of faith, that's continuing. But in doing so, we also see, especially in these verses that I just read, we also see how to catch a deceiver or how to identify whether someone is deceiving us or attempting to. Two things this morning, very simply put, number one, we see Antichrist, and number two, we see those of who are pro-Christ, or probably better said, followers of Christ. We see the reference right in the first verse to the last hour. What does it mean, the last hour? Was John writing this and he only thought there was an hour left to live and that just completely proves him, him false? No, of course not. The last hour in which John is referring to here, it refers to the time between the first coming of Christ and also the second coming of Christ. We are still in the last days. We are in the last hour, as John puts it. What does it mean when he refers to the anointing? That is a word, and we'll talk about it later in this sermon. What is referred to as the anointing? And talk about a word that is absolutely abused. (laughs) The anointing simply means being set apart for something specific. And contextually here, it is the Holy Spirit being present with us. It is the Holy Spirit abiding in us, And yes, even teaching us the truth as we live in this world. The objectives in 1 John, we've talked about these before, but in chapter 1, verse 3, John says, I'm writing to you so that what? So that you may have fellowship with us. Another objective is in chapter 1, verse 4, so that our joy may be complete. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, so that you may not sin. And in chapter 5, verse 13, we've not gotten there yet, but John says that you may know that you have eternal life. There's two different objectives that are revealed to us in these verses. The first one, he says, I'm writing to you because the truth is in you. You know the truth. Why would he write to us, or why would he write to that church in Ephesus if they didn't have the truth? He's writing to them because they already have the truth. But another objective is revealed in verse 26. I write these things to you. About who? Who is he trying to warn them about? Those who are trying to deceive you. We've already talked about the Gnostics who were in the church claiming that they had Uh, an enlightenment, they had a spiritual light that revealed to them mysteries that no one else saw but them. (laughs) In their condescending attitude, they claimed to be more, can I say, anointed than those regular members in Ephesus. That was their claim. But John puts a halt to that. He has a stark warning. He has a cautionary tale. Say, I'm writing this. I'm continuing teaching you in the knowledge of the Word of God. I'm continuing writing these things because I'm warning of those who are trying to deceive you. And so we raise the question, how do we identify 
a deceiver. What are the particular and specific things that we look for when trying to discern whether someone is trying to deceive or manipulate or distort or twist? How do we know that we or others around us aren't serving the biblical Jesus? And what an important distinction to make, the biblical Jesus. A lot of people use that name, Jesus Christ. A lot of them use it in a blasphemous, disrespectful way. They use it as a cuss word to express disgust in a situation. But there's even those who use Jesus Christ who aren't talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible. We need to be very specific in which Jesus we are referring to or others are referring to. So how do we know? First point, we see that which is characterized by the attitude of Antichrist. That is the first point, Antichrist. We obviously know, and perhaps as you read this, or you heard me reading this, or you read it along with me, perhaps your mind resorted directly to the book of Revelation, right? Uh, The reference to the Antichrist, or perhaps your mind went to the future Antichrist, which is referenced to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Going on in verse 8, it talks about, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So in scripture, it is reference to this future Antichrist, this very specific Antichrist who is referred to as the man of lawlessness. The lawless one will be revealed at a future time. He will claim to be God, but just like we read last week with the things of this world, he will be in opposition to the true God. And so we raise the question, is John only speaking of this future Antichrist, which is referenced in 2 Thessalonians. We'll look at the quantity that is referenced, the number reference in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So that's the future one. That is the one referred to in 2 Thessalonians. But look as he continues, middle of verse 18, So now... He says to that church in Ephesus, many antichrists have come. John makes it very clear to his readers that there are, is not just one future antichrist, but he says even now there have been many who, are, who have come. So we ask the question, who are the many antichrists? How do we distinguish who is pro-Christ and who is antichrist? Let's go directly to the words of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 30. He says this. Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
Jesus makes a very clear line. You are either for me or against me. You are either with me, and if you are not with me, you are against me. If you don't gather with Jesus, you scatter and you are against him. Jesus makes it very clear. And so who are the anti-Christ Jesus people that is being referenced in verse 18? They are those who are the departed. They are those who are the departed. We have several instances of those who have departed from the faith, claimed to be of the faith, professed to be of the faith, only to find out over time they never possessed the faith to begin with. One example is Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8. The apostles were so convinced that Simon was saved that he was even baptized. But after Simon's baptism, Peter says in condemning fashion to this Simon who was baptized, you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Why did he say that to Simon the magician? Simon thought he could obtain the gift of God with money. He thought he could purchase the gift of God. He thought he could purchase grace showing that he didn't even know what grace was to begin with. And it was Simon, even though the apostles were deceived, it was he who departed from the faith. Judas Iscariot, John 13, verse 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out, leaving the presence of Christ only to what? Only to betray the Son of Man. Simon the Magician, Judas Iscariot are prime examples of those who departed from the faith. Time will tell, won't it, whether someone belongs to the faith. So we have those examples, and I think those are in harmony. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19, what did they do? (laughs) They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I think John makes it very clear from verse 19, just because someone is in the midst of a crowd does not mean they are of the same belief of that crowd. Instead of continuing, they are of the departed. And what does that show about them? What does that reveal about those who don't continue in the faith, about those who don't continue in the truth? It shows that they have the Spirit of Antichrist. It's what Antichrist do. What do they do? They depart from the faith. But it's not just the departed. We also see the dishonesty. We also see the dishonesty. Do you remember Paul to the Ephesian elders in our study through Acts? I referred to it as the early church pastors conference. And to the Ephesian elders, Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 29. 
I know that after my departure, says Paul, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. At this emotional gathering of elders, this early church pastors conference, if you will, what are the final words that Paul says before he leaves them for another journey, for the, another mission that God has him? He warns them of wolves to come. And what will those wolves do, says Paul to these elders? They will speak twisted things. And why will they do it? Paul says to the elders, to draw you away and to draw them to themselves. They're going to try to draw the disciples away from Christ, away from the truth, away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will put the attention on themselves. <laughs> Does that not sound like the Gnostics that are in that church in Ephesus whom John is writing? So Paul warns of the wolves speaking twisted things to draw them away from the truth. Look at verse 22. How do we catch a deceiver? How do we identify a deceiver? Verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. The truth of the matter is, despite what the Antichrist say, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. Jesus Christ is the one the prophets spoke of, the one the prophets pointed to. Jesus Christ was 100% man, 100% God. He came in the flesh. Christ did what Adam could never do. And John is making it very, very clear that anyone that says otherwise, anyone that tries to diminish Christ Jesus, they are liars. They are dishonest. Anyone that says otherwise, anyone says that Jesus Christ is less than the Father, is an anti-biblical Christ. They have the spirit of Antichrist. Second John 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Those saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh, those saying that Jesus was not born of a virgin, John makes it very clear they are deceivers and they are Antichrist. 1 John 4, verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now 
is in the world already. And so we see from verse 22, those not giving credit or glory where it belongs, those who try to diminish Christ and draw the disciples away to themselves, those who are deceivers, those who say that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. If we see that they have the spirit of Antichrist, what does that mean for the here and now? What does that mean for us today? Well, what that means is, and here's just a few examples, Joseph Smith is a deceiver. The Jews who deny Christ, what are they according to John? They are liars. What about those who are of Islam, diminishing Christ in opposition to the biblical Jesus? Those of Islam are dishonest. They are deceived themselves, and as they are spreading their false message, they are deceived deceivers, presenting a dishonest message, a condemning and damning message if one adheres to it. That's how serious it is. No wonder John speaks in such bold language. No wonder John speaks in such clear terms. No wonder he speaks in such repetitious phrases, hoping that his readers will come to the knowledge of the truth if they have not already Antichrist are the departed. Antichrist are dishonest deceivers. And not just that, they are deniers. They are in denial. Look at the first part of verse 23. John again makes it very clear. No one, you hear that? No one who denies the Son has what? The Father. If you deny Jesus Christ, according to John, you don't have the Father. If you don't have the way, the truth, and the life, you have no access to God the Father. In other words, you are without God Himself. John says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Don't believe that Jesus is of the Father don't support that Jesus is equal with the Father. John is saying that is the spirit of Antichrist. Philip did not yet understand this when he said, or excuse me, yes, Philip said to him, John 14, verses 8 through 10, Philip says this to Christ, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. <laughs> Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus rebukes Philip. He rebukes 
Philip for asking the question or what that question revealed that that Jesus was not associated with the Father in such a way. But Jesus corrects him in saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says to Philip, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And he says, the Father dwells in me. What does this mean? To not believe these words from Jesus Christ is to directly call Jesus a liar. It's to call Jesus a liar. To deny Jesus is in the Father and that the Father is in Jesus. What does that mean? It means, according to John, that they have the spirit of Antichrist. (laughs) And so we see these departed we see these deniers we see this these dishonest deceivers and we know they are of the spirit of antichrist and we know that there's a multitude there's multiple people who can be considered antichrist not just one futuristic one and so we are thinking again how to know it's not a deceiver we're trying to think first of all how do we identify a deceiver But we also want to raise the question or the proponent how to know it's not a deceiver or how to know that we personally or others around us belong to the household of faith. And that leads to point number two, those who are pro-Christ or perhaps better said, true Christ followers. And I think John points to the first thing being that of the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance. We already have seen that those with the spirit of Antichrist, they depart. They don't continue. Verse 19, those who are pro-Christ, those who are true followers of Christ, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have what? continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John makes it very clear. If you are of the household of faith, if you are a true follower of Christ, if you have truly experienced the grace of God and you know him personally, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. John makes it very clear. You will continue. You will persevere. Yes, it's true. Christians may temporarily be deceived. Yes, there may be wanderings. Yes, Christians may backslide. But Scripture is clear. Christ followers continue in the faith. And if people veer off and if people leave the faith entirely, it means that they never possessed the faith to begin with. Why true Christ followers continue? They continue. We shouldn't have to make church a carnival to get people in the door or to keep them here. Why do Christians continue to come back to worship? Because they belong to God and it's what Christians do. We gather for corporate worship. 
Mark 13, verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who what, says Jesus, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Christians continue. Christians persevere. In the words of Christ, Christians endure to the end. And it's only those who endure who will be saved. You remember the churches who Christ wrote to in Revelation, all those different churches? Do you notice how each of those messages conclude? To the church at Ephesus, to the one who conquers, says Jesus Christ. The church at Smyrna, to the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. What about Pergamum? To the one who conquers, I will give hidden manna. Thyatira, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. What about the church at Sardis? To the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. The church in Philadelphia, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And the church in Laodicea, the one who conquers, says Jesus Christ, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Words all throughout scripture continue. Perseverance, endurance, as Jesus says to those churches, those who conquer to the end will be saved. Revelation 3, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus says that we are to hold fast to what we have in the faith. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Those who are pro-Christ, those who are true followers of Christ, run with endurance. They run the race. They finish well. They continue. They persevere. They endure. They conquer. It's what followers of Christ do. (laughs) But not just that we also see a commitment to sound doctrine. A commitment to sound doctrine. Look at verse 21. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. He speaks of their knowledge of the truth. He speaks of their familiarity with the truth. But what kind of truth Do true Christians adhere to? According to John, true Christians adhere to the sound doctrine, the biblical truth of the confession. The biblical truth of the confession. What confession are you referring to? Look at the end of verse 23, right in the middle. We already talked about in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. But middle of verse 23, what confession is John alluding to? 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Whoever confesses the Son, Jesus Christ, has God the Father also. 1 John 4 verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has has come in the flesh is from God. Greg read this in the call to worship from Colossians 1.15. Why do we confess the Son? Why do we confess the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do we proclaim Him as Messiah? Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1, 2, verse, verses 2 and 3. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by who? His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We confess the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that He came in the flesh, but we also confess that He rose from the grave and He is now at the right hand of God. And guess what? He's coming again. (laughs) We see the confession, but we also see in terms of the commitment to sound biblical doctrine, we see a reference to the anointing. The anointing. I think it's very clear who John is referencing. I I think John makes it very clear him making the note of the, the dilemma that is at hand. We already talked about how the Gnostics who were coming in and diminishing Christ, proclaiming themselves, saying that they had a higher knowledge than those regular church members perhaps it was the Gnostics who were claiming a greater or perhaps a more superior anointing than those who were there in their midst (laughs) I wish I didn't have so much background knowledge in this I wish I could not speak to you with such familiarity in what I'm about to say. But before the Lord revealed to me the truth, before He got me back on the right tracks of sound biblical doctrine, I watched many televangelists and I listened to them and hung on to every word that they said. And I'll never forget, and it still rings in my ears, the message that they would say. And and a lot of times, if not the majority of times, I noticed a pattern. A lot of times that when they would claim a very special anointing on their ministry and on, on their pastorship, on their 
ministering to other people. I have this special anointing. I have this these special things. I have this special gift of healing. I have. The, they would talk. I. 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 They would talk about themselves, fitting with what Paul warned to the elders. They will draw you away and draw you to themselves. But these televangelists on TV, these charismatics on TV, and it always happened towards the end of the TV segment, (laughs) always right around that time where they wanted you to give money. Give to my ministry. Call this number. Do it now. (laughs) I have a word for someone. The televangelist would say, I have a special anointing, and because this special anointing is upon me, call right now, sow your seed, give this money, and you will experience this blessing. I wish I did not have that familiarity with that message that I heard over and over and over again. And the more I study church history, and the more I study Scripture, the more I see the patterns of sin are exactly the same. Those Gnostics who perhaps were claiming this special anointing, we're seeing the same thing with the Charismaniacs and and the same thing with the televangelists, claiming to have this special anointing, twisting what Scripture says in regards to the anointing. And they puff up themselves to get money or to get notoriety or a better reputation, whatever the motive is, it's heresy and it's twisting of the word of God. But those who are committed to sound biblical doctrine, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. John says this to the church at Ephesus, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Is John saying that you need a special anointing? Is John saying that you need to hear from someone who has a special anointing or who has an elevated sense of knowledge or education? John says you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit yourself and you have all knowledge. Listen to me, dear ones. The Word of God is sufficient for you. From Genesis to Revelation, you have all you need. Yes, God has graciously given us teachers and elders, pastors. God has graciously given us teachers to help make clear what the Word of God says. We're grateful for them. But listen to me. You have all you need in the Holy Spirit, and He teaches you what the Word of God says. You have the truth. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit helps us discern what is the truth. What about verse 27? Verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you... Abide in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. I believe this is also what John is referencing. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth. And it is God who establishes us 
with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you notice the words of John and the words of Paul? They're not boasting in their ministry. They're not boasting in themselves. They're saying what you have in that of the Holy Spirit is what we have. We all have it together. Paul says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Paul puts himself in the same conversation as everybody, as he should. Why? Paul's not arrogant. Paul's not conceited. Paul is the one saying, we come not preaching ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is making it very clear. Those who are diminishing Christ, those who are making it about themselves, who are claiming a special knowledge, claiming to know mysteries, claiming to have a special anointing, they are anti-biblical Jesus. But you... Be committed to sound biblical doctrine. And we see the anointing. We also see the abiding. We've seen it referenced multiple times. But look at verse 24. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so it's these verses that we see. We see a clear picture of what a true follower of Christ looks like. Someone who is not out to deceive. Someone who truly belongs to the household of faith. And contextually, we see this with the anointing and we see this with the abiding. What does all this mean when we put all the pieces of the puzzle together? It means those who confess the Son are the anointed. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the anointed have Christ abiding in them, and the anointed abide in Christ. That's the formula. That's what happens. Again, I'll say it again. Those who confess the Son are the anointed. The anointed have Christ abiding in them, and the anointed abide in Christ. We dwell in His Word. We walk in fellowship. We walk in communion with Him. What a special time it is to pray with each other. What a special time it is to go in our closet and shut the door and our Heavenly Father sees what we pray in secret. The anointing, the abiding, we also see, and this is to our joy. Remember, one of the objectives of John is so that our joy, he says, may be complete. It doesn't get better than this. Look at verse 25. What's the promise? And this is the promise that he made to us. What is it? Eternal life. Just think with me for a second. This world that we get so caught up in. All the craziness. All the corruption. Think about it with me, saints. We will all be together worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, living in a world with Antichrist, living in a world with deceivers, trying to draw us away from the one who came to die for us, the one who loves us. There'll be no sin. 
There'll be no sorrow, no tears, no Satan, no deceivers, no Antichrist, no false doctrine. We'll be with our Lord, worshiping Him for all of eternity. Is there any greater promise than that? But listen to me. It's only those who are pro-Christ. It is only those who are true followers of Christ that this promise is to. It is not to those who are anti-Christ. Those who are with the Lord have this promise. Those who are against Him do not. Are you for Him or are you against Him? There's no in-between. John 11, verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. (laughs) And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The question is, do you believe in this Jesus? If so, you shall never die. In summary, those who are antichrist, they are those who are the departed, they depart from the faith, they don't continue. Antichrists are dishonest, deceivers, and they are deniers of the confession of Jesus Christ. True followers of Christ, they persevere, they continue, they endure, they run the race, they are conquerors. Also, followers of Christ, they are committed to sound biblical doctrine. And with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they abide in God. They dwell in His Word. They have fellowship and communion with Him. And finally, followers of Christ, they hold fast to the promise of eternal life. Are you discerning who is of Christ? And who is not? Be discerning. Test the spirits. Do the job of a Berean and see that whether they are preaching is in biblical alignment with what the Word of God says. Are you discerning who is of Christ and who is not? John says it's a pretty big deal. (laughs) It's an objective of John. He makes it very clear. Are you with Christ or are you against Him? Only you know the answer to that. But as Sebastian prayed in his prayer, if you don't know that, oh, even today, maybe today is the day of salvation. May it be true for you. Please stand with me.